Hi, and welcome to Harvest Bible Chapel, Kuala Lumpur Online. We hope that the following message will be a blessing to you as you seek to walk with the Lord in spirit and in truth. For more information about our church, please visit www.harvestkl.org or click the link in the description below. church happy summer to you here it is come on I'm surprised you're all still sitting down after that new sermon bumper I figured for sure you'd kind of be up kind of just kind of moving just a bit I saw some of y'all moving in your seats of course those of you watching online from home I'm sure you were dancing wherever you are in Myerstown I can only imagine y'all moving to that groove up there love you grateful for you Excited for what the Lord has in store for us this summer. Uh, What a privilege it is for me to kick off a new series. And as is our conviction here as a church, we believe and we desire to teach and be instructed from the whole counsel of God. And so last summer, we kicked off Sermon on the Mount and walked through each of the Beatitudes. And then as the fall came around, we entered into the Old Testament and studied the great story of Nehemiah, the Lord restoring our walls of faith. Uh, Then, of course, Christmas, celebrating the Lord's birth and his entrance into this earth. And then January, January, looking at our commitments as a church. What makes us who we are? Where are we headed? What is God doing? Then, of course, 1st and 2nd Thessalonians into the epistles, an early epistle of the Apostle Paul. And now summer has returned, and here we are, back into the Gospels, listening to the very, sitting under the very words of Jesus as they were recorded by one of his disciples, the great one, Matthew, as he wrote to a Jewish audience who needed to hear. Are you fired up for God's word today? Say amen. Amen. Let me pray. Lord, become ready. We come with hearts filled with expectation. Father, for honest, some of us are thinking summertime. Some of us are thinking transition. Some of us are looking forward to vacations and times of rest. Lord God, would you give that? Uh, but Lord, we know that uh, we as your disciples, uh, you do not call us um, to time off, but to remain engaged. And so, Lord, even in these moments, when you do allow us to Sabbath, even in this season, Lord God, would you also surprise us by the power of your Holy Spirit? Transform us as we study scriptures that may be common to many of us, but would you, in, would you open our eyes to keen and clear and transformative understanding 
Father, we, wanna, we don't want to learn things new. We want to we bask in things old. We want to discover the author's intent. We want, Lord God, to anchor ourselves in what you desire for us to know about these truths. And so, God, bring us fresh. Bring us new. Anchor us in what is old, that we, be, that we might be transformed to the fresh vision that you have for us and our church in this season. And so now, it's in Jesus' holy, precious name that we pray these things. And all of Mission Church said... Amen. Amen. And so the series title is this. It is different. Say different. Different. Turn to your neighbor and say, well, that's different. Indeed it is. And this summer series, if you will, is somewhat of a sequel, as I've already mentioned. It's a bit of a follow-up from last summer's sermon series, which was called Blessed. Say blessed. Which was a study of the Beatitudes, eight virtues, if you will, that reside inside the heart of every disciple, everyone whom Jesus Christ has called as his own. But here it is a sequel. And so, with every sequel, uh, there is always some sort of a flashback. Maybe you, maybe you noticed it in the bumper. You're like, that kind of looks familiar, the way the things kind of moved. And the, the music might be a little different, but the colors are sort of the same. And so, it kind of takes you back. You need like this recap to where those who were here for the original, if you will, the ones who were here for part one, you know, for the original viewer, the original reader, for the listener who was here for the first, and for those who just happened to miss that episode, book, or message, of course, the flashback, the review, and you guys know. Um, my favorite form of review is always, it's always, it's always going to be a pop quiz. <laughs> you already fell. Look, you already, got your, you, already got your, you already got your thumbs ready for the pop quiz. So here it is, uh, based on all that you remember from last summer. Now, I get it. Some of you are off the hook. You weren't here last summer. But I know you went back and watched all the sermons in the archive in preparation for this morning. So I'm sure you'll be able to answer this question as well. So based on our study of the Beatitudes, what I I need to know is how blessed are you? Blessed as in like, I am super blessed. I know I'm objectively blessed. I am blessed or I am not blessed at all, Uh, fill in the blank with all the reasons why you may not feel blessed, based on not how you feel, but on what you studied last summer, how blessed are you? Show me, come on, show me, everybody thumbs up, turn to your neighbor and say the answer key is thumbs up, the answer key is thumbs up, we are all, 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 I'd make you repeat it again, but I've already done so three times. That's my limit for every introduction. No more repeating of words. We are all blessed. You're blessed. You may not feel blessed, but you're blessed. We can say we're blessed. Why? Because we don't define our blessedness based on the hashtag definition of blessed. Do you remember this? We don't base our blessedness on the hashtag definition of blessed. If you were to look at social media, uh, you would be reminded by all of the posts that are hashtag blessed. I got a new car, blessed. I took an amazing vacation, I'm blessed. Look at my wonderful family, I'm blessed. Look at my new car, look at my new job, look at my new, look at my new, look at my shiny thing. Look at, 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 hashtag. I'm blessed. 
These pictures remind us that most people think of blessing through the lens of prosperity. Even Christians who have walked with Jesus for a real long time who hear the trigger word of prosperity, like, no, I don't. We all tend to think of blessedness. <clears throat> Excuse me. Tickle in the throat. We would, I would, that would not be a moment of blessedness based on that definition, would it? We all tend to think of pleasure, contentment, good fortune, new, shiny, great, but indeed, friends, we know that isn't the case. Why? Because what is that? If that is the definition of blessed, then what is to be said about the person who never re receives a new car? What is to be said about the person who never even drives a car? What is to be said about the person who has never taken a vacation? What is it to be said about the person who comes from a broken or dysfunctional family? Friends, would you say that they're not blessed? Of course they're blessed. You see, the Lord, it's not, this is not to say that the Lord doesn't render prosperity. This doesn't mean that the Lord doesn't uh, give us practical blessings and tangible things in this earth. He certainly does. James chapter 1, verse 17 says what? Every good, every good, every good and perfect gift comes from above, comes from the Father with life, where there is no shadow or variation of change. Indeed, he does pour out his riches over us. But when we come to the Sermon on the Mount, what we're going to see is this. We are blessed, not based on how we feel, but based upon the pronouncement of Jesus Christ and his saving work over us. Amen. We're blessed. You see, as we reorient ourselves back to the Sermon on the Mount, as we read words like this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. Blessed are the meek. Blessed are the hungry and the thirsty. Blessed are the merciful. Blessed are the pure in heart. Blessed are the peacemakers. Blessed are the persecuted. Blessed are the ones who are reviled. It's not difficult for us to see right away that what Jesus is speaking of here is something different. It's different. It's less about external circumstances and it's more about the internal and the eternal condition of each and every one of our hearts. The word blessed, the word blessed, the word blessed in the Greek is makarios. The word means blissful. The word means fortunate. The word means in its most practical, tangible, down-to-earth way, it means happy. Hence the bumper. I can keep going if you need. Are you happy? Happy. But as you move over and you realize, as you begin to look into this word, uh, this, this word blessed, though it does mean happy in its simplest form, it's not the superficial, like if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands, kind of happy. This word was actually reserved in its original language and oftentimes used for those who actually passed on from the difficulties of this earth and have actually made their way, if you will, up to the power of the Lord into what comes next. 
They would speak of those who passed on as being blessed and receiving their eternal bliss. And so we come this morning and we reorient ourselves with the Beatitudes and reminded this word Beatus comes from the root Latin word Beatitude, comes from the root Latin word Beatus, which again means the same. Beatitude, a statement of utmost bliss, divine joy, perfect happiness, inner satisfaction. Are you blessed? In this respect, friends, our blessedness is not something we measure on a scale. Let us say it again. Let us reorient ourselves to this. Our blessedness is something we measure on a scale. Our blessedness is not something we park in our garage. Our blessedness is not measured by the size of our bank account. Our blessedness is not adorned in our wardrobe. Our, our blessedness is not found in the tangible things of this earth. Although we do thank our God for his richness poured out over us, we understand that it's something so much more. We're not blessed because we feel blessed. We are blessed because Jesus Christ has pronounced us as blessed done. You can't earn God's blessing. You can only live out of the blessing which you have received. Let us park our legalistic truck in the garage and put it on blocks. That truck does not drive. I think I heard my pastor give that illustration back in Altoona, so there I share it with you. Why? Because our blessedness is tied to our salvation. Our blessedness is tied to our salvation. And in this sense, we are either completely blessed or we are not blessed at all. And see, here's the thing. The entire Sermon on the Mount, the entire Sermon on the Mount is not a sermon that Jesus preached so you could learn how you could be blessed. So that you could learn how you could earn his blessing. The entire Sermon on the Mount was written, was delivered, was preached by the greatest preacher who ever preached so that you would learn what it looks like to live as blessed individuals. Come on, friends, that's different. He's wrote, he preached, it was recorded for us. Why? Because out of the richness of this blessing, we are to live different as kingdom citizens. So for the next 12 weeks, we're going to study the Sermon on the Mount. The greatest sermon ever preached, delivered by the greatest preacher to ever preach. Say his name. Who's the preacher? Say his name. Say Jesus. Jesus. Just say his name again. Who preached? Jesus. Jesus. What we have is Jesus Christ, the messianic king, proclaiming what it means to live as citizens within his kingdom. Come on, you have your pens ready. Come on, you have your thumbs ready. This is an intro sermon. You know how the intro sermons go. All the background that you need. All the, all the outline that you need, everything that you need to really get yourself anchored and reoriented for the series that is to come. This is your thinking cap week. You got to have your, if you're taking notes on your phone, have your thumbs ready. If you're taking notes on paper, have your pen ready. Here's where we're headed. Over the next 12 weeks, we're going to reorient ourselves today with this, the Beatitudes, the virtues of the kingdom. Where there's no moving forward unless you understand the Beatitudes. Everything's going to be anchored back into this. What? The virtues of the kingdom. The king wants us to know that it begins in the heart. 
Then, verse 13 through 16, which we will cover today as well, will be the influence of the kingdom. Once you have the blessedness of God residing in you and you're displaying these virtues, then Jesus wants you to know that you are to be an influencer in his kingdom. Second, thirdly, this, the righteousness of the kingdom. You've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, you've heard it said, but I say, if you're not better, if you're not even more righteous than the scribes and the Pharisees, he's going to walk us through what that means. The virtue of the kingdom, the influence of the kingdom, the righteousness of the kingdom, chapter 5, 17 to 48. Now this, the practices of the kingdom. Jesus is going to touch on what giving looks like in the kingdom, what the Lord's, how we are to pray as citizens of his kingdom, how we are to fast. Then he's going to talk about the ambition of the kingdom. Ambition, once you're a child of God, looks differently than a citizen of this world. He's going to talk about treasures in heaven, about seeking ye first the kingdom of God, and then what will happen? Then what will happen? Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and then what? All of these things will be added unto you. That's the Sermon on the Mount, virtues of the kingdom, influence of the kingdom, righteousness of the kingdom, practices of the kingdom, ambition of the kingdom, now this, relationships in the kingdom. You've heard it said, now this, do not judge. You've heard about the golden rule, do unto others, virtue, influence, righteousness, practices, ambition, relationships. Now this, the commitment of a kingdom citizen. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, tell me those whom I say, depart from me, I never knew you. This is all part of the sermon. Come on, don't build your house upon the sand. Rather, build your house upon the rock. There's a commitment that is coming. There's a commitment that needs to be seen. And Jesus here in the Sermon on the Mount is going to lay out for us. But if we don't get today right, this sermon will bear upon you as a weight which you cannot shoulder nor bear. Woe unto those who would preach this message as an achievement unto heaven. Careful for those who would come here and see this as a means of earning our way into heaven. The response of Jesus' sermon is unbelievable. Matthew chapter 7, three chapters worth of preaching, he goes on. But in Matthew chapter 7, verse 28, it says this, when Jesus finished these sayings, the crowd were astonished. They were For this was teaching. He was teaching them as one with authority and not as their scribe. They were astonished. Why? They were astonished. Why? They were astonished. Why? Because it was unlike anything they had ever heard before. His teaching was, his teaching was, what do you think his teaching was? What was his teaching? It was different. His teaching was different. It was different from the religious leaders who focused on external practices and pious pride. His teaching was different. His way was different than the Roman authorities who were forging ahead with political power. To put it plainly, Jesus is calling us, his church, to live another way. He's calling us to be different. He's calling us to be different. Turn to your neighbor and say, I think he wants us to know that we're different. Turn to your neighbor and say, you're different.
Check it. He's blessed us to be different. He's blessed us to be different. He's blessed us to be different. He has blessed us so that we will be different. It's not being different that makes us blessed. It's the fact that we're blessed that enables us to be different. This is where we're headed. So if you're ready to be different, say, let's go. All right, here's the background. Matthew chapter 5, Sermon on the Mount, early in Jesus' ministry. This is the beginning of his ministry up until this point. Matthew was only recorded. Uh, Two other instances really of Jesus. One, of course, was his baptism where the father said, this is my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. The second, of course, is the temptation in the wilderness where Jesus relied upon the word of God where he was promised the whole world where he was tempted in every way, but was found to be without sin. Up until this point, this this incredible sermon, we only hear of Jesus addressing the masses and even his disciples only two times before now. Here's what Jesus spoke before now. Matthew chapter 4, verse 17, Matthew records this. Come on, here's a sermon. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And then to his disciples, Matthew chapter 4, verse 19, he said this, follow me. For I will make you fishers of men. Before this sermon, Matthew records two teachings of Jesus. Repent. For the kingdom of God is at hand. And to those who repent, he says this, follow me, for I will make you a fisher of men. And these two verses, these two verses, I believe, check it here, mark it down, these two verses provide us the theological backdrop for the sermon. For what is Jesus about to do in this sermon, but really unpack those two points? What does it look like to live a repentant life? And as you live this repentant life disciple, hear this, you will become a fisher of men. What is the Sermon on the Mount? This is the life of a repentant person. This is the life of someone whom God has transformed. This is your new citizenship. This is how you're going to live. Repent and believe. And for the one who repents and believes and empowered to live the way this sermon puts forth, you indeed will become fishers of men. You've been blessed to be different And today what I want you to see is this, two simple points. You've been blessed to be different. You've been blessed to have a different kind of impact. You've been blessed to have a different kind of impact. How is that true? Point one, you embrace embrace Christ's blessing. And then point two, you'll engage in his mission. You want to have an impact? Jesus called you to have a different kind of impact. You need to understand that you are blessed And so now the text. Matthew chapter 4, verse 23. And so Jesus went through all of Galilee in their synagogues. Jesus went throughout all of Galilee teaching in their synagogues. Jesus is proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom. He's healing every disease and every affliction among the people. 
so that his fame would spread throughout all of Syria. And they brought him all who were sick and all who were afflicted and all who had various diseases and pain. Those who were oppressed, those who were with demon possessed, the epileptics and the paralytics, he healed them all. And check it, verse 25. And great crowds followed him. By now, Jesus had the world's attention. He had the region's attention. Town after town, synagogue after synagogue. He was saying things that captivated them. They were different. What is this difference? And note, the great crowds followed him from Galilee and the Decapolis and from Jerusalem and all of Judea and beyond the Jordan. Like the known world as they knew it was all somehow paying attention to this simple carpenter who was going from town to town calling himself a rabbi. See the crowds. This is the background of the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus coming at the beginning in his peak of fame. Chapter 5, verse 1. Now seeing the crowds. When you see crowds, count that as the curious. Count that as the masses who are wondering what's going on. And so seeing the crowds, what does Jesus do? After his itinerant ministry, he went up on the mountainside, as, we would, as we'll see him do over and over and over and over again throughout the book of Matthew. He would go to be with his father. And so after busy ministry, Jesus recedes. He goes to the mountain. And what does that enable him to do? It enables him to pull away. And as he pulls away, what does it allow the others to do? What does it allow the crowd to do? It allows those who are especially interested to draw near. Whoa, where'd he go? Where'd the miracle worker go? Where's the guy who was saying all these things? Where's the guy who healed me? Where'd he go? Where'd he go? Oh, wait, he's up there. And so what does it say? And his disciples came to him. And his disciples then came to him. Disciples here is not the formal 12 as you would know it, as we would come to know it. This is before their formal commissioning of Jesus. This is sp simply speaking of those, of course, those original ones whom he called early on, but also those who were committed. Disciple here means follow after the ones who are committed to what they were hearing, those who had made a commitment to Jesus. And so as you come to the Sermon on the Mount, what's incredibly important now is recognizing this. Who's Jesus talking to? Jesus is talking at the immediacy of his address to the disciples, to the committed. Yes, the crowds are gathered in, but up front in line, up front in the crowd are those who came to Jesus because they were interested in the truth that he was speaking. He had already drawn them to himself. Jesus is talking to the committed as the curious listen in, as the religious and the obstinate listen on. Friends, who's Jesus preaching to? Tell me, tell me, tell me. Say to the disciples, to believers. And look at where he starts. Verse two, and so Jesus opens his mouth and he taught them. Jesus opened his mouth and he taught them, blessed are the poor in spirit. Where does Jesus start? He's about to tell us how things are gonna go down in the kingdom, how we're to act in the kingdom of God. 
how we're to think in the kingdom of God, how we're to approach things in the kingdom of God, and, and where, does, where does Jesus start? Show me where Jesus starts. Show me. Show me. Point to where Jesus starts. Point here. Come on, point here. This is pedagogy. This is so important. You won't forget. Point here. Jesus starts with the heart. You want to know how to be a kingdom citizen? It begins with the heart. It ought to be no surprise that Jesus starts where it all resides. Why does Jesus start with the heart? Because he's inaugurating his spiritual kingdom. Jesus is inaugurating his spiritual kingdom. Repent, he says, for the kingdom of God is at hand. Where is the kingdom of God? The kingdom of his heart, the kingdom of God is where the king resides. The kingdom of God will stretch as far as the, king, uh, the king's authority will extend. That is the kingdom of God. And what is he saying? The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is here. And yes, one day, as we will study, the, there will be a physical kingdom where he will sit on a physical throne and he will reign over the physically established kingdom and fulfill all the promises of old. But until then, the kingdom of God resides where the authority of God extends. And so this, my friends, is how you can understand that the kingdom of God is here. The converted heart. It's a spiritual kingdom. And so when Jesus Christ saves you and he becomes the Lord of your life, you become a member, a citizen of uh, the spiritual kingdom. This is the spiritual kingdom of God that we are talking about. And so he begins the sermon establishing us as his children and as his disciples, understanding this, the kingdom of God is a spiritual kingdom. It's the already not yet theological point that I wish I had time to unpack. One day we will, but here we are. And so he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit. Eight times he's going to say, blessed are, blessed are. Blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are, blessed are. These beatitudes blaze a trail of spiritual understanding that you need to know for your own heart. These beatitudes blaze a spiritual trail an interesting way, the graph of sanctification that we've talked about over and over and over again in our Thessalonians series kind of comes back to full frame again. You are blessed positionally because Jesus Christ has proclaimed you as blessed. But yet indeed, I, as I walk out these blessings, I learn more about what it means to be poor in spirit. I learn a little bit more about what it means to grieve. I learn a little bit more about what it means to be meek. But indeed, the moment you are saved, you become these things. And what I want you to see is this. There's a path of understanding that happens instantaneously, but yet at the same time, it's a journey, spiritually speaking, which we find ourselves in. And so he says this, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs are the kingdom of God. What is he saying? Blessed are those who are poor in spirit because they see their sinfulness. My spirit is poor, it is weak, and I cannot save myself. And then he moves on to say, Blessed are those who mourn, for they will inherit the earth. 
What are we mourning? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for I know I'm a sinner. And I mourn and I grieve over my sin. Blessed are those who mourn, he says. And what does this mourning produce in us? It produces a meekness in us, a humility in us that recognizes I am a sinner and I, I grieve over my own sin and the sin of the world and I understand that I'm no better and so it creates in me a humbleness and a meekness, a strength that is reserved, recognizing that I can't do this myself but Jesus Christ is in me doing it. And so we're poor in spirit, we mourn, we're meek and then what does this meekness lead us to? A hunger and a thirst for righteousness. Man, I know I'm a sinner. I grieve over my sin. It creates a meekness and humility in me, but it also rises up in me this hunger and thirst for righteousness, Matthew. Five, verse six. And when this righteousness has its full effect, what happens next? Blessed are the merciful. You see, these first four Beatitudes, they're vertical. I see my sin in light of God's holiness. I mourn in the presence of God because I'm a wretched sinner. There's a meekness and humility that comes and I'm hungering and thirsting for God's righteousness and now there comes the vertical of these, the horizontal of these beatitudes because now I'm gonna demonstrate it in mercy. This mercy leads to a pureness of heart, a sincerity about us as Christ followers. Blessed are, blessed are. God, open our eyes. Blessed are the merciful, blessed are the pure in heart, blessed are the peacemakers. We can make peace, why? Because Jesus Christ has made peace with us. And even as we go about making this peace, the eighth beatitude says what? Blessed are the persecuted. Even as we seek to live out these virtues, even as we understand that we are a sinner, even as we understand that we are a sinner, even as we grieve over our own sin, even as we, in grief of our own sin, become meek and humble through the power of the Holy Spirit, and then we hunger and thirst for righteousness, and then we show, we show integrity and, and humility and to those who are watching on. What do we know? Even as we seek to make peace, there will always be those who will be in opposition, both earthly and demonic oppression shall rise up against God's children and God's people. But let me say it again, you're blessed. You're blessed because Jesus Christ has pronounced you as blessed in these beatitudes. And he opened his mouth saying, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who mourn, for they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are those who are hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God.
You want to know how you know you're blessed? You want to know how you can know if you're saved? It's the Beatitudes. You know you're blessed and you know you're saved. You know why? Because you know you're a sinner. You're poor in spirit. No one has to point that out to you. You know. You know what are the evidences of salvation? Is the virtue of grief and mourning over your own sin. You're bothered by sin. It's an evidence of salvation. It's an evidence that you're blessed. You don't earn God's blessing because you wail and you grieve loud enough. You know how you can be sure that you're blessed? There's a humility about you that's not contrived. There's a meekness about you, strength under pressure. It's outside of yourself. It wasn't there before. You know how you know you're blessed? Because you hunger and thirst for righteousness. You know you haven't arrived. No one in this room has arrived. And so you hunger. But you still know you're weak in spirit. You still know that you sin. You still know and that causes that meekness. And you hunger and you hunger and you hunger. You know you're blessed. Why? Because you're able to extend mercy even to those who you feel don't deserve it. Still you do. Still you extend. There's a sincerity about you. You know you're blessed and you know you're saved. Why? Because you desire peace. The conflict about you bothers you. The fighting among us bothers you. And you know what? You know that you are a child of God because you're willing to persevere and endure even persecution when it comes your way. You see, friends, these beatitudes, they are a gift from God. None of us can work these up inside of ourselves. We will fail every time that we do. And so these are the evidences that God has blessed you. And now that you've been blessed, you're able to live out these virtues and be different. You can't make yourself different. Although, look around, everyone. You know what different is now? Different is the same. We're all working so hard to be different that we look the same. These virtues... These virtues are evidence of the Lord's work in your life. And as we're able to work out these virtues through the power of the Holy Spirit, as they pour out of our lives, these are evidences of a repentant life. Jesus says, repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand, and this is what it's going to look like. And as you live out these virtues, you shall become fishers of men. These beatitudes bear in them the power necessary to become workers of his mission as well, which leads us to point two. Different kind of impact. You've been saved to be different. You've been saved to have a different kind of impact. So embrace your blessing. You've been blessed. For a deeper study of all of those Beatitudes, which were just a review in point one, come on, go back and listen to all 85 sermons from last summer. Okay, there wasn't that many, but it was, they're all there. So now we engage in the mission of God. Look at verse 13. Come on, context. You've read this passage so many times. If you've been around church world, you've read this passage so many times. If you're new to church, know this. Christians go to this verse all the time. If you're new to church, you may even, you may even heard us talk about these things along the way. Listen, listen, listen. You, chosen one, you, blessed one, are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall its saltiness be restored? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. 
You are the light of the world. You're a city on a hill and you cannot be hidden. Come on, hear this. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and they would give glory to your Father in heaven. Come on, how many times have you sat in Sunday school under those verses? You know what I love about these verses? I don't know if you ever thought of it this way. Think about the crowd for a minute. Put yourself in the crowd for a minute. Who was attracted to Jesus in those days? Were the religious leaders attracted to Jesus those days? Was it the scribes and the Pharisees who were especially interested? Was it the successful market owners that were running Jesus' way? To the fishermen, Jesus said, drop your nets and follow me. To the tax collector and the outcast, Jesus said, Come, follow me. To the sinner, to the least of these, Jesus said, come, follow me. You know what I love about these opening words coming out of the Beatitudes and how infrequently do we tie this admonition to the Beatitudes that come right before them. This is all part of Jesus' introduction to his sermon. This is all one continuous flow of thought. He has not shifted gears yet. In light of your blessedness, here's what I want you to do. I want you to be salt and I want you to be light. What I love about this opening is this. Jesus speaks in words that every person in the crowd can understand. Jesus uses imagery But no matter where you came from, no matter who you were, no matter what your background was, no matter how smart you were, or how difficult understanding came to you, you would have been sitting under Jesus' teaching. You're like, oh my word, I get it. I saw my parents use salt in the kitchen, and, and who hasn't lit a lamp along the way? Friends, Jesus chooses these words very purposefully. In this crowd, this crowd is multi-ethnic, it's multicultural, it's multi-generational. It's a mixture of spiritual backgrounds and economic classes of society. No doubt there were those in the crowd who, couldn't, who weren't just only relating to the Beatitudes on a spiritual level. There were those who were hearing those words very practically and very close to home. They weren't just poor in spirit, they were poor. While they were grieving over their sin, they had much, many other things to be grieving of as well. There were those listening to the words of Jesus for sure, who were hungry, who were insecure who were being ill-treated. They were all there present. And what I love about this is Jesus Christ looks them in the eye with the curious gathered round, with the religious leaders looking in, listening in critically. And he looks at the least of these amongst the masses and he says, you, you are the salt of the earth. You, 
You are the light of the world. You No preface of rich, no preface of poor, no preface of background. You, if you have embraced me, if I have declared you as blessed, you are the light of the world. Friends, this is different. What Jesus is doing here is different. He wasn't speaking over their heads as the religious leaders did. He wasn't wielding his authority as the Romans would have done. He simply extends. He speaks to them in a way that they could understand. There were those in the crowd who felt as though they didn't belong. And Jesus draws them in. You may be sitting here this morning and you may feel as though you don't belong. You ever gone to church and wondered why you're sitting there? You are the salt of the earth. Yeah, but, I know, but you're the light of the world. I know, but did you, listen, you're the salt of the earth. If you're wondering if you are the salt of the earth, if you're wondering if you are the light of the world, see point one. It's the fact that you actually feel poor in spirit right now. There's great evidence that you're probably the salt of the earth and the light of the world. If you're grieving over your sin right now because you're wondering if you're worthy of it, know this, you are not. That's what makes Jesus so wonderful. That's probably good evidence that you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. But you're like, I'm hungry. I'm hungry. I can't get enough. And the, and the more that I read, I, I feel like I'm still not measuring up. Come on, mark it. It's probably evidence that you're the salt of the earth and the light of the world. Jesus' kingdom is upside down. And it's the religious leaders who are sitting there who are like, I'm not mourning. I'm good. And they're sitting there saying, you really going to say to this group of people gathered around here that they are that influential in the kingdom of God? Really? Check it. I think the introduction of the Sermon on the Mount alone would have got Jesus upon the cross. The introduction of the Sermon on the Mount alone was enough for the religious leaders to say, this guy is out. Who is he to look at these people and say these words? And what does he say? Come on. I've saved you. I've blessed you. Represent me. What I love about this is Jesus may have been preaching from a mountaintop or a mountainside, but every person gathered there was listening to him upon level ground. 
And he was giving every person in his kingdom dignity and purpose. And what was that purpose? To have an impact, to impact the world for him. They were to represent the king and expand his kingdom. How were they to do so? By being salt. They were to do so by being salt. You see verse 13. You are the salt of the earth. Come on, raise your hand if you like salt. Raise your hand if you like salt. Be honest, be honest, okay? Uh, now, now elbow the one who likes salt too much. Just kind of give him an elbow and say, we know you like salt too much. There's a lot, I see some elbows flying now, and that's really good participation. Uh, you see, there's a lot of uses for salt. I could go on and on and on and on about the uses for salt. Most of us, we know salt as table salt. It's that which kind of brings savor to meals and, and makes bland things uh, taste better. It was that, it was that um, condiment that you used whenever you were a child to, to eat the meat that didn't have any flavor that mom put in front of you that you had to eat so you could go off and play. That was what you used. You used salt. But what I think, what I believe with all my heart that Jesus has in view here was the usage of salt as a preservative. You see, in that particular day, and we, we know this practice still today, salt is used to preserve. Salt is used to stop decay. And he looks at those who are gathered around, and he says, listen, you are the salt of the earth. You are here to stop the decay. You are here to hold back the decomposition that is happening because of the effects of sin on this earth. You know what's happening to the world right now? John chapter 2, verse 17, this world is passing away. This world is passing away with all of its desires. This world is passing away. This world is breaking down. This world is, is succumbing to sin. It's going to get worse before it gets better. Christian, why are you surprised? What are you to do? You're to be salt. Why is the end not here yet? Because you're still here. You're the soul of the earth. You see, the Lord is looking at you and he's looking at the crowd and he's saying, listen, you are a means of common grace upon this earth. God is using you as a common grace and a means of restraint to hold back the full effects of sin upon this earth. When you read your Bible, you'll see there are other common graces which God uses. One is your conscience, Romans chapter one. You can see your conscience as a salt of sorts that preserves, that holds back sin. Family would be another common grace that God has instituted. It's a common grace. The institution of family it's the place where God has called there to be an entrustment of wholesomeness and influence throughout society. How about this, governing authorities? That's a common grace that God uses. What is the... What is the what is the call of authorities in our world today? Jesus, the apostles, the New Testament teaches what? They are to punish evil and protect good. It holds back sin. It holds back sin. It holds back sin. But what do we see here? We see an emphasis, an emphasis that redeemed people are to be the chief and most consistent restraint of evil and sin in the world. How are we to do it? How are we to do this? How are we to be the salt of the earth? How are we to hold back the decomposition of sin upon the planet? How does that work? See point one by living out the Beatitudes. By preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, by embracing the gospel of Jesus Christ, because what the world needs is people who understand that they're sinners 
and who grieve over their own sin and the sin they see around them, and who, who, who takes that grief and applies it meekly but strongly in the face of evil. We need people who hunger and thirst for righteousness upon the planet. We need those who will reach out with a pureness, a sincerity of heart and offer eternal gospel peace to a world that needs it. And even in so doing, we recognize this. We're going to get punched in the nose for doing it. Salt, salt, salt. You are the salt of the earth. And Jesus gives this urgent plea, be careful that you don't lose your saltiness. This is where some get themselves theologically in trouble. Is Jesus saying we can lose our blessedness? We can lose our saltiness? We can lose our salvation? Say no. Hear this. <laughs> Literally speaking, sodium chloride is the most stable of all compounds. So there's that. Once you're salt, you're always salt. That'll preach. Once you're salt, you're always salt. But you know what? It's also, it may be the most stable, but it's also the most soluble of all the compounds. It's stable, but it's soluble. Do you ever put salt in the glass and stir it up? And so what is he saying? About 100 miles south from where Jesus is preaching, he would have looked down that way, there would have been the Dead Sea. You know what's on the Dead Sea? A whole lot of white powder. And they would gather up that powder and they would use it as salt. You know what was mixed up in within the salt, within the white powder of salt, the sodium chloride? You know what else is in there? Other minerals. Other stones, other gravel. And what's Jesus saying? He's like, look, 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 look. Do, you know, if the salt, if what I'm holding in my hand, as you perceive to be salt, if it loses its saltiness, if it becomes diluted, if it stops with its potency and allows itself to kind of assimilate and come into all the other gravel and things and water around it, if you will, it will be what? It will, it, it will be ineffective, counted as worthless. And what do you do once the salt what do you do once the salt and its solubleness has kind of faded away and all that's left is the gravel, what, is, what do you do? You don't use that salt anymore and you cast it down. That's the illustration that Jesus is giving. And so what is he saying? You are called to be potently different. Potently different. You'll be a tall drink of water. Potently different. Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones says this, the glory of the gospel is that when the church is absolutely different from the world, she shall invariably attract it. Come on, hear it again. It's when we're different that we attract the world. It is then that the world is made to listen to her message, though it may hate it at first. Otherwise, if Christians are indistinguishable from non-Christians, we are useless. We may as well be discarded like saltless salt thrown out and trodden underfoot by men. Come on, let this drive our ministry philosophy. 
Bring those who need Jesus and let them hear what Jesus has to say. Let us try. Let us stop trying to make the words of Jesus palatable among men. Let it be potent. Let it be strong. Let it be bathed in grace. We know we're poor in spirit. We know we're sinners. We're grieving ourselves. And that's why we're presenting this truth as meekly as we can. Why? Because we're, we, we're just hungry and thirsting for more because we're... You see it? And so he says, you're salt. Call that the defense, if you will. For if salt preserves, what does light do? It penetrates and pierces. And so he says, you are the light of the world. You are the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You're the light of the world, a city on a hill that cannot be hidden. You are the light. Notice what he says about light here. Who hasn't turned on a lamp in your home? Who in this day wouldn't have seen a, wouldn't have known the importance of lamps lit in the evening time under the dark sky? They would certainly know. He says, listen, people do not light a lamp and put it under a basket. That makes no sense. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Why are you trying? He says, verse 16, so then in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good deeds and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Jesus has blessed you so that you would have a different kind of impact. Jesus has blessed you and he's calling you to be salt and he's calling you to be light. Light cannot be hidden and there's no reason to put it under a basket. In other words, light cannot, nor should not, we should not try to hide the light of Jesus inside of us. Enter Sunday school music now. This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. Right? This little light of mine, I'm going to let it shine. This little light of mine, I could have written this, right? I'm going to let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. Let it shine. According to Jesus, a Christian that seeks to fade into the background ceases to be faithful. Let me say it again. A Christian that desires to fade into the background ceases to be faithful. A Christian who desires to blend in is to deny and forsake the very blessings of God that he has entrusted upon you. Rather, we're to let our light shine. Rather, we are to be the salt of the earth. Rather, we are to live out the Beatitudes that people would see the Lord's good deeds shining through us. As salt, we stand against sin. As light, we present truth. As salt, we stand against, we speak out lovingly, humbly, sincerely, but yet we must stand against sin. We are God's preservative in this world, if you will. And as light, we offer in exchange the truth, the transformative truth that will set men free from that which is decaying them, sin. As you live from a position of blessing, Jesus says the world will notice, the world will see. And what's the ultimate goal? They'll glorify God. They'll be blessed too. They'll see their sinfulness. They'll grieve. They'll be restored. They'll hunger for righteousness. They'll receive peace. They'll become merciful. 
You know, the rest of this sermon, Jesus is actually going to be salt and light all the way through. You've heard it said salt. You've heard it said salt. You've heard it said salt. But I say light. But I say light. But I say light. All throughout the rest of this sermon, Jesus is going to show us how we can stand against sin through the power and the virtue of the Holy Spirit, but then also put in exchange the light. You've heard it said, but I say. And so we have the privilege and the opportunity, church, to live, to live, to live different. Would you stand with me now as we close? Lord, we desire to be different, but it's hard. Father, we desire to be different, but it's misunderstood. Father, we desire to be different, but even in the teachings which you've entrusted to us today, it's a reminder that it will bring about difficulty, hardship, and persecution. But God, we bask in this, we're blessed. We bask in the reality and the truth that you sent your son to this earth to die on the cross that we could be transformed by her from the inside out. God, we thank you that you haven't called us to earn your salvation, but you gave it to us as a gift. And so, Lord, today I would pray for those who are here who have not experienced your blessedness, who've not confessed their sins and come under the lordship of your salvation. God, would you move in this place today? Friend, the scriptures say, if you call upon the name of the Lord, you'll be saved. If you confess your sins, he is faithful to forgive you. Right now, the Lord is drawing you to himself and so you confess you are poor in spirit. Tell him you know you're a sinner. Grieve over your sin and let it be known unto him that you need his forgiveness. A newness will come over you that will result in a humility and a sincerity and a hunger for him like you've never experienced before. And friends, you'll live differently. You'll be changed, you'll be transformed, but you'll be used of him. So where you are in your own words, cry out to the Lord right now. Ask him to save your soul. And church, let us be reminded today of this glorious truth that we are blessed and that we are called to make an impact for him. Let us be salt, let us be light, Lord God. Help us to this end, we pray in Jesus' name. And all of Mission Church said, all right, church, you're blessed. You want to celebrate that? You're blessed.